your mama raised you better than that. That was not something that you wanted to hear. It probably meant you were being a knucklehead at the time, right? One of mom's primary things to do in life is to find a way to train you. And I, I actually started recalling some things that my mom uh, trained me with that I heard over and over. Apparently, I needed this a lot. And then I looked at this list, and then I thought to myself, this is probably really dated. I wonder how many moms actually say this stuff anymore. Because one of the things that's not on my list is, put your phone down, right? And I know moms are saying that all the time now. But it's not on here. It's not on here. I have stuff like this. Mind your manners. Shut the door. You weren't raised in a barn. I was kind of raised in a barn, and I never understood this because we always shut the doors. The animals would get out. It was very confusing to me. Don't go outside with wet hair. Keep your elbows off the table. Have anybody heard this one? There are starving children who would love to eat what you have, right? How many of you got in trouble when you offered to pay for the shipping, right? Let's do this, mom. No, probably not. Uh, moms have this thing where uh, they care about training us, and most of it, I think, was embedded in love. It was done in love towards us. Now, sometimes maybe you didn't think that way. Maybe mom... Um, was uh, just wound up about something and you were like, wow, she is so worried and, and she's going off, she's gonna drive herself nuts and she's gonna drive me nuts in the process. Uh, this morning, that's what we wanna, we wanna pick up. We wanna figure out how mom can do her role without driving herself crazy with worry. Is it even possible to do that or is it just part of the job? Uh, before we get there, we're gonna find out how much you know about Mother's Day. So we're going to bring the lights up a little bit. There's a piece of paper on your table. Make sure you say hi to everybody at your table. There's going to be, uh, if you're sitting in a row, there's some uh, paper with a pen sitting there. Um, get ready. We're going to go quickly. I think this is going to be hard. I think some of these are going to be hard. You can bring the lights up further. They've got to be able to read and see. There we go. And we're six questions really fast to find out how much you know about Mother's Day. Okay? So here's the first one. The closest thing to the first Mother's Day is mentioned in Greek mythology. It was a spring festival which was held in honor of what maternal goddess? She was the wife of Kronos and believed to be the mother of many deities, and that is a picture of her with her nose beaten off. So maybe you've seen her on your Instagram feed and you're like, I know who that is. Yeah, you're not going to get that one. That's okay. Question two. In 250 BC, ancient Romans also celebrated a spring festival called Hilaria. It was dedicated to the mother goddess Sybil, and it was celebrated on the Ides of March. The followers made offerings at the temple, held parades, played games, and masquerades, and they did it for how many days? This is going to lead to a problem, because here's a hint. It's more than one day, and I know I'm going to go home, and she's going to go, I only get one day? How many days do you think? Just guess the day, write that down. Figure it out. All right. Number three. Who is the woman rumored to be behind the modern day Mother's Day celebration on May 2nd, the second Sunday, or the second Sunday of May? I gave you a hint up there. She didn't have kids herself, but she did it in honor of her own mom. Who is that? Ooh. Yeah, I told you this was going to be hard. Okay, 
Number four, having tirelessly campaigned for Mother's Day on May 8, 1914, what president signed a joint resolution designating the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day? You should be able to figure this out. Who was president 1914? Okay, question five. A quarter of all purchases of this gift are purchased on this holiday. What gift? For, for the whole year, a quarter of them are made on this day. What are people buying? Ooh. And number six. In the U.S., just in the U.S., how many phone calls are made to moms on Mother's Day? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on, give it a shot. Come up with something. Okay, let's see. I, I'll be surprised if anybody gets more than three right. So let's see if that's going to happen. How many of you said for question number one, it was Rhea? You did not. Oh my word. Okay, how many of you said three days for a Mother Day celebration? Some of you got three. Nice, all right. Oh, all right, I could be way off. All right, does anybody know the name of the person who got this all started? Did anybody write Anna Jarvis? No, oh yeah, moms, you have a lot to think about here. Anna went to bat for you. Who was the president? Woodrow Wilson, yeah, who, who said that? One, two, three, four, oh man, a whole bunch of those, okay. It is now. I tried to put it off the slide. You cheaters. <laughs> We've got to make that correction. The la what do you think the gift is? Flowers. Yeah, absolutely. It's flowers. How many phone calls? 200 million? 500 million? 122 million phone calls are made on this day for moms. Anybody get more than three, right? What? No. <laughs> nice try. All right. Hey, uh, that was hard. We knew that was going to be hard. Why don't we take the lights down and we'll get started? Interesting mom facts. Thank you, Anna Jarvis. Who said tirelessly campaigning or nagging doesn't get things done? I'm just saying. So anyway, I'm Tracy Blair's wife, and I get the privilege each Mother's Day to come and share a little bit about my heart with you. So we started this morning with mom quotes and some trivia just to convey that moms actually do play a pretty important role in our lives. So moms, mothers, mamas, grandmas, guardians, you fill so many spaces, raising us, teaching us, guiding us, and caring for us. And some moms are great at it. They love creating memories, playing games, showing up to your activities, feeding lots of hungry friends, encouraging kids, and making endless dinners around the table at supper time. For others, life with mom, what life with mom was a struggle. There were negative choices made that didn't destroy your childhood, but it did taint it. And for others, Mother's Day stirs up an ache due to maybe neglect or criticism, broken promises, addictions, comparison to another sibling, or just plain silence. 
For you, Mother's Day just stinks. Could be that um, for some of you, the uh, picture of mom right now is somebody who doesn't recognize you, or uh, your mom may have been have gone on to be with Jesus, and so uh, there's an, there's another ache in your heart. The only common thread when you use the word mom is that people have uh, memories. It stirs up emotions of some kind. It's unknown what that is for you, and we understand when you talk to this large of a group, it could be anything. Uh, so we'd like to start by just praying. We'd like um, to see if God would be present with us, because uh, we're going to talk about some stuff, and it's hard to know um, how that lands for you, and we're just going to ask that God steers that wherever he needs to this morning. So would you join me with prayer? Uh, God, there is an emotional stir that happens in us when we think of mom, and uh, you're the one who knows the backstories of everybody here. You're the one who understands the emotions that get stirred, and so we just ask that you would be present with us, that you would take um, uh, what we've prepared and you would use it for your kingdom however you can. I ask that you would bend it to people's situation in their lives, help them to hear the peace that they absolutely need to hear this morning. And... Um, well, I hope it'll just honor you. Uh, we ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen. So moms come in all shapes and sizes. They face all kinds of choices day after day, moment by moment. Many of those choices they're not sure what to do with. And most moms that I know are stressed, busy, overwhelmed, clock chasing, quick praying, traffic facing, self-sacrificing, and exhausted. My young mom's friends' minds are blurred with early mornings and late night feedings, endless laundry, rereading familiar books over and over, chefing multiple times a day, motivating kids to get out of the door on time, making and keeping doctor appointments, playing on the floor with yesterday's crumbs and cleaning up flu remains. Some moms are at a stage like me where they miss all this stuff and you wonder if they need counseling. They do. No. <laughs> No, they don't. The activity of watching children grow and providing guidance is meaningful, and it's actually God's design. Proverbs 22.6 tells us to train up a child, and Deuteronomy 6 says to teach God's truth to our children when we sit, when we walk, when we lie down, and when we rise. In other words, all the time. So we do. We try to figure out social norms with them and teach them things like sitting down, being quiet, studying, and memorizing. We celebrate their victories and good choices. We walk with them as they make and lose friends. We coach them as they get picked on or scold them when they do the picking. We point out wise and unwise responses both to and from friends and teachers, coaches, and authority figures. We speak into their lives in times of loneliness and try to help them navigate clicks. We deal with things that we were never even taught, at least for me, like navigating public social media and that in the online world. We help them sort through status and power and how they see themselves and how they read that others see them and where really to find their value. And every child is different. Some do well, some bounce around, and some make choices with consequences that make your heart ache. Some end up alone in their room. And you aren't sure what to do. All this stuff is part of a mom's heart. And as children grow and move from stage to stage, fear of this process can take center stage. 
And if it does, it causes your heart to pound and your mind to race and your sleep to flee and focus to whirl like a pinwheel going round and round. In other words, stressed. It's the tension that you feel in your mind. You can feel it in your emotions, and it can even be strong enough that you feel it in your body. Oddly enough, the scripture never even talks about stress. God has a lot to say about worry and fear, which often lead to the stress in your life, and there was a reason he spoke about that. I think um, it's kind of interesting, at least growing up, what I watched is I think moms have a special relationship with worry. They seem to... Uh, carry it pretty close and you wonder, hey, can you even do the job unless you have a bunch of worry in yourself? Uh, I think the reason they do that is because um, they're right in the middle of the situation. They know, they know what they're being told by their kids. They know what there is going on in their husband's life. They know all of that stuff. But they also have this desire to look ahead and they see all of what could be or might happen. And so it just leads to worry. And for them, Worry becomes an activity of the mind. Holocaust survivor Corey Ten Boom said it this way, worry is a cycle of inefficient thoughts whirling around the center of fear. She knew firsthand what it was like to be faced with opportunities for worry. She was raised in a Dutch family with a strong faith in Christ that refused to sit by when millions of Jews were being put to death. And as a punishment for rescuing and hiding approximately 800 Jews, at age 52, she was taken from her home, her family, her career as a first female watchmaker, and forced onto a train across hundreds of miles. She was stripped, shaved bald, and made to work in a Nazi concentration camp run by men filled with hatred. She was rarely fed, and she knew that others were dying in that supposed shower that was actually a gas chamber and bugs were everywhere. So many opportunities for fear and worry and stress, but Corey found a gift, something in the midst of all the muck that she could be thankful for, bugs. The guards saw them as something to avoid, and without the guards hovering in the bunkhouse, she was able to share her story, to encourage, to pray, and to also talk about verses that she had memorized. Corey overcame stress-filled opportunities. How did she do it? Maybe she knew um, or had memorized what was in 1 Peter chapter 5. There's actually a section of uh, scripture here uh, where Peter's addressing church leaders, but in the middle of verse 5, he changes gears, and he starts speaking to everybody, and he says this, um, starting in the middle of verse 5. He says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because... God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. He just quotes a proverb. Then he says in verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Then he says, Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Interesting to note, he doesn't start with casting your anxiety. He starts with clothing yourself. Now, you might think that that means putting something on, but that's not what this particular word is for. He's talking to Jews who are spread all around the Roman Empire, and around the Roman Empire, people wore tunics, and they wore different tunics to tell people what status or class that they were associated with. If you wore a short tunic, you were a worker. 
You had to have room to move and bend and that sort of thing. If, if you were really wealthy, you had one that was really long to the ground and it was draped over your arm, making it fairly obvious to anybody who saw you, I can't possibly work, I've got to hold up my own clothes, right? But, but both of those, this word would have been associated with, but not simply just putting something on. It was this process. Even when you were a worker with a tunic, when you went to do some hard work, you would take and you would pull up that tunic a little higher and you would tuck it in your belt. And if you had to walk that big one that was really long, you would, you would put that up and you would secure that in the belt that you had. And that's what this word is. It was talking about securing up the stuff that you would tuck in so that you could then do something. And um, this is what... Peter's kind of handing to the people there. He's saying, I want you to secure to yourself humility. I, I want you to find a way to understand that God's greater than you, that you're lower than others, that you have a proper place in all of this so that when you go to cast your cares, you can do it, which is a little odd, right? Why is it? that he's bringing humility up, and he does it three times. He brings up that word before he ever gets to casting the care. It could be that part of the problem, the reason that we can't allow God to carry something, that we can't cast it away, is we've got a little pride issue. We, we think we could do better. We could see better. We know the outcome more. We're closer. We care more. All of that kind of stuff could happen for us. And so pride gets in the way. Now, I want to be... I'm going to be really careful here. I'm, I'm not trying to be callous and cold to moms this morning. I have enough problems. I don't need to get that started, right? Um, you, you carry enough. The goal here is not to find a way to put some baggage on you where you feel guilty about being prideful, about worrying. That's not the point. The point is you do carry enough, and God would like to come to you and see you unload that. And the only way that can happen is if you see things the way God sees things. And God would say, listen, I would like you to rest. And so part of this process is going to be you dealing with some humbleness in the situation. I find myself in the camp of carrying things more often than I wish. I'd like to say, Tracy, humble yourself Think about God first, think about others first, and then you can cast all the stress on him because he cares for you. But honestly, it's more comfortable to keep it close because I know it. And when I hold it, Peter actually says that I am divided, I'm fractured. Because that word of anxiety or cares or whatever um, term is used in your scripture is actually divided or separated from the whole. You're fractured into parts. So carrying worry or stress or fear actually fractures us. I'm not able to be whole. I'm not wholly present. I'm not wholly engaged. I'm not wholly caring. But, but I have adult children making adult decisions that tug at my heart. But decisions cause consequences. What if I don't pray the right way? What if I don't cast the right way? What if I don't care the right way? I found that a lot of messed up things starts with buts and I get stuck in those butts. So a month ago, I was feeling really stressed, like this is real for me. I worry about my kids and I wish I didn't. And there was something going on in our family and I had prayed and I had asked God, what did he want me to do? And it was silent. So after enough, I decided I'm going out to the woods and I'm just gonna rumble with you, God. We're just gonna get through this. 
I sat for a while, nothing. I sat again for a while, and if any of you know me, know that I can't sit still very long. So I finally got up and I started tugging at these old dead vines that were hanging up that had been choking out the trees. Blair had cut them down the year before and his dad had told him, oh, when they get dry, they'll fall off. And it had been a year and they still were there. So I'm grabbing the vines and some fall down with a vengeance and stuff was flying all over my head and my body. And then I, other vines were just um, coming down by themselves and others were bringing other vines with them. And then some I couldn't reach or they were just plain stuck. So I got closer to the tree just to see what was going on and in the bark's edges, in between them, were tiny dried vines that were going up and if I really wanted to clean this tree, I'd have to clean all of that out too. But they were dead, they weren't going anywhere and then God broke the silence and he said to me, sometimes dead things hang on. And I knew he was talking about my worry or my cares and my anxiety. They hang on, fear and worry cling, and then stress gets embedded in me. It's not productive, it's dead. It just sits there and it's stuck in me. And when my children, who are now adults, make choices, a shoot of worry comes out. And if I dwell there, it grows and grows into a life-choking vine. And even when God prunes that branch back, there are marks left in me. Easy patterns to go back to. And that's why he asks us to cast off that anxiety as soon as it raises its ugly head. He wants to cut it off before it becomes a pattern and leaves marks in our lives. And only he can do that. So having heard God say, dead things hang on, I asked, so what do you want from me? And he whispered, deny yourself take up your cross. What? I'm a mom. I already do that. Don't, don't you know who you're talking to? And I know that most moms would feel the same way. But if I were really, really honest in the deep, deep part of myself, I don't want to deny the thoughts that I could do better arranging my kids' choices or their outcomes or how others respond to them. I could do a jo better job than even God I'm like the kid sitting in the class, hand raised in the air, waving it back and forth, saying, God, God, pick me. I know what to do. I've got the answer. Do it my way. And instead, he wants me to drop my hand, put away my answers, put away my worry, my cares, put on humility, and reach out for his hand, palm up, ready to accept his time, his way, his care, his promises the best care ever. God was asking for my underlying pride of I know to become humility of you know and deny me. What God brought to Tracy's mind that day uh, was actually something out of Matthew chapter 16. And oddly enough, it was something that Jesus spoke to Peter. Um, it's 1624, he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Peter had just found out um, that Jesus was gonna die. Jesus had just informed him, hey, I'm, I'm gonna die. And Peter didn't like this. He didn't like what he was hearing, and so he pushed back against Jesus. He's like, don't talk that way. And um, Jesus was responding back and saying, listen, if you wanna be a follower of me, 
the first thing you're going to have to do is deny yourself, which is really, it's a humility once again. You're going to have to deny yourself. Now, what Jesus doesn't say here and what Peter doesn't say in his section of Scripture is that when he says, I want you to deny yourself, it's not that you'll never have the thought again. I think that's sometimes why we think, I can't cast my anxiety onto God. I keep thinking about it. Well, yeah, the thought's going to keep coming to your mind. But the answer is, I'm going to deny myself that. I'm not going to decide to sit in it. I'm going to keep giving that back to God. The, the reason sometimes that we don't is that we believe that if we carry that, if we're the ones who hold on to that, we can do better with it. And God would say, listen, if you deny yourself, what you're saying is that you're not responsible. I am. What you're saying is you're not going to carry this. I am. Sure, it's going to come to your mind. But do you really think this thing that's outside of your control is better off with you holding it? Do you really think that you care more than I do because I sacrificed my son for everybody in your family? Do you really believe that I'm not the one that should be carrying this after all? This is how Corey found a way through such dreadful circumstances. She refused to carry the burden that God was already carrying. Do you think she didn't know what happened to other humans that she had worked fiercely to protect when it was their turn to enter the chambers? Do you think she didn't process the awful burning smells of flesh, the harsh labor conditions, the lack of food in her belly? Or she closed her eyes to the incredibly cruel Nazis, two of whom she forgave later face to face? No, she knew. But she knew something deeper, deeper within herself. God himself was watching with absolute sorrow and grief, and I bet he cried. His children were being slaughtered. And Corey knew that. She trusted him. So she actively humbled herself, not solved it, not carried it, not controlled the outcome. She humbled herself and was able to honestly assess the situation. This isn't mine. This is my heavenly father's who sees all, knows all, and legitimately can carry it all. So arms outstretched, palms up, she rested in God's care. And because of that rest, she found things for which she could be thankful, even bugs. So let's be honest. It's impossible, nearly impossible, to fill a heart with gratefulness when it's filled with worry or stress. There's no room. The focus instead becomes what you don't have, what might not go your way, what hasn't gone your way in the past, what other people think, what part of you needs to plan to worry about the next thing that comes along, and then there is angst. But when you can humbly accept this isn't mine and accept what is yours is to actively give up those rights by clothing yourself with humility and cast that stuff back to him, you receive his genuine care with no strings attached. You practice seeing things from God's perspective and find thankfulness. You restore peace to your weary, overstressed soul. And you find hope in the small things to carry you. I mean, really, who would have ever thought to use something as small as bugs? God did. That's the God we trust. Each year I share with you on Mother's Day. 
And I reflect on the challenges of the last year that I never expected. And it's true, I no longer face the endless, precious, tiring moments of raising children. And yes, I am one of those moms who miss it dearly. But now I face big kids' choices and heartaches, replaying conversations that could have gone better, disappointments and how I will respond to them, uncertainty and loss. How will I respond to others that don't understand my family? I have multiple opportunities to humble myself, cast my fragments of brokenness away, and truth be told, I still believe that there are some things that hurt me more than they hurt my children. But when I carry stress and worry, rather than allowing God to carry it, or God caring about them, It leaves marks and old patterns in my life that are easy to return to. I have to actively, intentionally practice the humility of knowing that he shepherds better than I do. Then I can surrender and be cut from my strangling ways and reach out palm up across the divided, fractured parts of me to the healer and the restorer of brokenness who has more wisdom, more love, and more fierce determination than I have. So maybe for you this morning, it's time to decide that worry or stress, this isn't mine. You don't want to be fractured by worry or stress anymore, and you want to commit that every time it comes to mind, you will accept that God will care for you and care for it with greater care than you have. So here's you today refusing to carry it any longer, and committing to give your best pitch to cast it to him as many times as it takes. And in throwing it away, you're going to ask for his promise to fill you in the deep with his care, his rest, his peace, and his hope. Or maybe for you, it's time you notice the bugs. God is doing something in the midst of difficulties, but you can't see it because you haven't found a way to rest and stretch your arms out, palms up, to make space for thankfulness. So here's you today, asking that your eyes will be opened to his perspective, his grace, and his truth about life. And you will practice it over and over, seeking his heart to fill you with thankfulness. Corrie ten Boom left a legacy of fierce protection and care for others, while she also knew when God would carry the rest. And I would like to leave you with the quote that she said before I pray. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. God, I put my hand up so many times asking you to do it my way. And I thank you for these truths that you reveal to deny myself and take up my cross and follow you to let go of the fear and the worry because it creates fracturedness in us or in me. So I just ask this morning as your spirit moves throughout the room that you will tap on hearts to tell them where their worry or stress or fear is bottled up within them and that they would begin to make choices, intentional choices to humble themselves, to gird it up, to tuck it in, to get ready to run with you, to get ready to walk with you in whatever battle they face. To find the bugs, God, will you allow their eyes to be open and see your perspective? You are so good, and sometimes we run so hard from your goodness. 
So will you allow us to be quiet and be still in those moments? Allow us to sing this next song knowing that we are no longer slaves to fear, but we are children of a living God. You split the sea so we could walk right through it. God, I ask that you would split the sea for us, that our fears would be drowned in perfect love, your perfect love. In Jesus' precious name, amen.